Episode 133, dated Friday the 4th of December 2009, Dominic Diamond. Welcome to the Games Master Oil Rig, where chapped lips and a ruddy complexion are just some of the hardships we endure for a spot of games playing. So while I slip on a bit of anti-chafe, let's go over to the installation's chief red coat, Uncle Games Master. Greetings, and welcome aboard the Games Rig. I must say, I do admire your pluck in continuing to want to pitch your skills against my challenges. As an erstwhile classic scholar, I felt somewhat duty-bound to introduce you to the world of Greek mythology. Hence, my first challenge is on a game called... This week, we are phenomenally excited to have in our midst the granddaddy of all British Isles video game-based entertainment show presenters, the legendary Dominic Diamond. Hello, Dominic. Hello. It is fantastic to finally meet you. Some explanation will be required for any of our listeners much younger than 20 and pretty much everybody outside of the UK. Dominic was the presenter on Games Master, the first and most successful video game-related TV show in the UK, spanning seven series from 1992 to 98. The basic premise always remained the same. Each week, Dominic would wrangle a series of challengers who would be set tasks by the titular old techno wizard played by Patrick Moore, cheered on by a large collection of tweens gathered in a themed studio. <laughs> challenges usually consisted of completing levels against the clock, but often embraced oddball and unusual games and ridiculous gimmicky peripherals like the Super Scope. Games Master also featured weekly focus points, reviews and tips, and also special guests, much like our own, which in pre-internet age gave us 90s gamers a tantalising glimpse at what was on the market. Significantly, when the first episode of Games Master was broadcast, the Super Nintendo was only just being released in the West, and as the last show closed, the Sony PlayStation had full hold on a market of increasingly older gamers, so Dominic and his team effectively presided over the maturing of the medium. But I will let Dominic... Tell us about how challenging that was. How you, you know, doing? It's so funny hearing you describe <laughs> it like that. I just thought it was a, a whole series of knob gags <laughs> and uh, attractive women. We'll get to it, that. <laughs> it, 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 was, it was, but it was somehow formatted in a very special way for us, you know, teenagers and 20-somethings. I don't know. Basically, our, our key demographic are going to be bouncing up and down in excitement at this point. I can't believe they got Dominic Diamond. Yeah, I, t- I tell you what, I don't normally get like this with guests on the show. I mean, yeah, we have some fantastic guests, but I've got a big smile on my face. And I'm like, Dominic Diamond. I grew up with this man on my TV screen. Dominic Diamond. Well, I'm just so, really happy that you're so chirpy. I imagine you might possibly end up like, uh, you know, Keith Moon or somebody that's sort of, oh, yeah, the game's lost. I don't want to even talk about it. <laughs> so, this is not at all my... Do you know, to be honest, my... My memories of the show grow fonder and fonder with uh, with right. every passing year. It's it's amazing and it's intensely flattering and a great tribute to that bunch of uh, alcoholic, uh, drug-addled <laughs> people 
who worked so hard at producing that show that people still talk about it. It's amazing. Well, it was a kind of an integral part of my childhood uh, in, in terms of telly. I, I am 29 this year. Tony, are you 30 now? I'll be 30, yeah. You're going to be 30 before me next April. So, I mean, we were kind of the exact spot-on right age. So I'd have been 12 in 92 when it started and 18 when it finished. So it matured as I did. So and just, just out of interest, Dominic, how old, roughly? Uh, I am 40 years old in uh, about 30 days. The uh, December the 31st, I am 40. Well, you look younger. <laughs> <laughs> You can't see me on video. Farming has not been kind to me. <laughs> oh, actually, yeah. Explain the farming and, and, and what your current uh, um, position is right now. Because yeah, where are you? Because you're not in the UK. No, I'm in uh, Nova Scotia, uh, which is a, a bizarre part of Canada, uh, a lovely, beautiful part of Canada, where it's. Um, I have a nine-acre farm. I left the UK in January, mm-hmm. having decided that with three young children, the chances of them getting stabbed in the street in Britain seem to be increasing with every passing year. Mm. So I came here for a kind of quieter, safer, crime-free life. And, uh, yeah, it's great. I, I, I live just outside a place called Mahone Bay, which is like, it's one of those wonderful North American towns that you read about in the first half of a Stephen King novel. Ah. Uh, where You know where it's all nice and there's people like Todd Hilt running the local garage and everybody's got porches and that and until the second half of the novel when they all turn into vampires yeah. uh, so it's um, it's just lovely it's a kind of Huckleberry Finn existence we've got ah. you know we've got the farm we've got like a boathouse we've got a river that we swim in and it's just uh, it's very quiet and very family orientated and no doubt sounds crashingly dull to the majority of people <laughs> listening well, you just described my wife's ideal place to go and retire, and, and she's been kind of angling for that kind of thing for ages. I mean, if you have a generator and grow your own food, she's there, effectively. Well, and, and you have broadband, so you've got all the benefits with broadband. So oh, God. Go. If you've got broadband as well, I'm there, so, okay. You're lucky. There's, there's a lot of... There's a whole... Um, like, the coast of Nova Scotia is quite populated, but there's this mm. gargantuan inner Nova Scotia land where they don't have broadband. And where everything is kind of a lot slower. But if you, if you drive through that pretty fast, then you're okay. <laughs> so you used to present the show about the games, eh? And they're all sort of like cleaning the bits of an old car. And <laughs> Right. Actually, okay, yeah, before, I before we actually get onto the main show, was it ever got into the case where people still recognised you in the street? As yeah. Dominic Diamond? Do you keep the floppy fringe? What, in Nova Scotia? No, well, I'm guessing not in Canada. In England. But, uh, well, no, you know, it does happen, because this is a, a lot of British people are coming over to Nova Scotia all the ah, time. Yeah. Do you know, it, it, it really spoiled it for me, unfortunately. Because, oh, uh, I, I did come here. I, I had the last few years of my media career were spent in uh, the Goldfish Bowl of Glasgow uh-huh. um, for a, a sorted horrible religious, sectarian, football-related reasons. Uh, life was very dangerous and fraught, and uh, I was desperate to come go where someone didn't, versus somewhere where people didn't recognise me and didn't know ah, me. But then we were here about a month, and all of a sudden, because I, I write a column in the, uh, the, the newspaper over here about my new life, which I probably shouldn't have done if I wanted <laughs> a quiet life, and uh, all it took was that and Google for people to go, do you know what? We've just been on Google, and apparently you were quite famous back in the UK. So, um, yeah, no, it, it still it still happens. You sound like the Glaswegian Bill Bryson at this stage. <laughs> I've also just got this picture of somebody walking through Nova Scotia, you know, minding their own business, an expat, and then suddenly 
did I just see Dominic Diamond? <laughs> the hell? It cast your mind back to just around the 1992 time. How did yeah. Games Master come about, and how involved were you with the Inception? Uh, I was nothing to do with the Inception whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It was uh, the, the genius that is Jane Hewland, the show's executive producer, and uh, her uh, wonderfully precocious son, Harry, who uh, they had got... Harry was loving video games. He had an NES at the time. And I think he'd said to his mum, you know, who had a TV production company, uh, you know, why isn't there any TV shows on about video games? Mm. She floated the idea past lots of broadcasters. Uh, Channel 4 were the only ones who had the kind of, that were surfing the zeitgeist enough to go, <laughs> yeah, that, that could work. Um, at that point, though, it was very much, I think it was going to be a much straighter show. It was only once I had... Um, I had auditioned and, and got the part and started uh, fermenting craziness <laughs> yeah, with, with Jane and the producer Adam Wood and the director Cameron McAllister then that it became this, this kind of camp innuendo-laden entertainment extravaganza. That it was. I, was, I mean, it's, it's the first series, was, was that the one in the church? or yes. the, Yeah, okay, so I, I, try and picture this, kids. Uh, American kids specifically, um, floppy fringed Scotsman in a, like a red Butlins coat. Was that the first series or was oh, that red, red coat was series two? Series, series one was, was uh, black trousers, black oh, waistcoat, yes, yes, cravat, big glasses, yeah. long floppy hair, yeah. giant crowd of kids, and he's talking about. Basically, I mean, effectively, every five seconds you go, so the young lads at home waggling their joysticks furiously, and at 12, I didn't know what you meant. I just looked. Of course you didn't. Just watching it for what it was. Did you guys just get any flack for that? Because, I mean, surely some parents were watching and going, I can't believe you're saying that. Do you know, no, we didn't really. It kind of, a lot of that flew over everyone's heads. We didn't get any flack from Channel 4 because they... I mean, we're absolutely clueless about the show. They right. they commissioned the show, then it became this this big kind of top ten success for them, and then that was enough. They they never even used to watch the show before it went out. I'm sure if they did, half the shows wouldn't have been allowed to be broadcast. But because they didn't understand video games at all, yeah. and I think because most of the news about the show in that first series was about how it was doing really well on the ratings and uh, Jonathan Ross had a chat show on at the time and it was getting more ratings than him and this new phenomenon about video games and then there was all the controversies, all these boring old fatably people who were going, oh, they, they, they corrupt the minds of kids. So then that became... Still happens. Happen. Yep. Yeah, so so that, that was really the news story. I think people were too worried about uh, whether these uh, what they considered to be these new machines were the work of Satan to worry about... Uh, you know, waggling joystick references, which sadly that was the only gag in the whole of the first series. <laughs> Effectively, was yes. Waggling joysticks. It really, it was not my finest comic writing moment. Well, it, it it's it still holds up today. I've, I've I've watched the first two series and part of the third series. I stopped after the first few episodes in the third series and I have yet to go back for reasons we'll go into in a bit. But um, it it's, it really does still hold up, and that's not just me polishing your knob there. It's uh, it was. I think it's possibly just being able to see these games, you know, when they were in the eyes of these kids in this audience, new. You know, and they they whip out Mario World, and all the kids are like, ooh. 
And we're like, you know, to us it's commonplace, but you know, we remember it's, it's casting our minds back to when yeah. Mario World and Zelda on the snares and Sonic 2 were, were, were brand new and, and, and something that you couldn't, you know, just, were not just a few clicks of a button away. We literally had to harangue our parents about it and, and pour over the screenshots we found in the magazines, but that's all we got. So it, it was, it was crucial to us you know, as gamers back in those days. Right. And I, th- I think also the, um, the fact that it was actually game challenges mm. on air as well, I mean, that's what helped us succeed where other video game shows didn't really. I think it was because we we took these things and made them into something you could understand and get as a televisual uh, thing, even if you didn't like games. Mm. I mean, it's interesting that when um, when Top Gear had their reboot a few years ago, which launched them into becoming one of the biggest shows in television, mm. That whole race the stig around a track thing, mm-hmm. that is actually exactly the same as try and get 100 coins in Super Mario. Yeah. It's exactly the same. And it's really interesting that it was that kind of TV-based challenge that launched them into a whole new uh, stratosphere of viewers. When it was, and then that was the reason why we succeeded as well at the beginning. It wasn't, it wasn't just that we were giving people who were interested in games the first chance to see them actually moving yeah. on television. <laughs> but we were also saying, look, even if you're not that into games, this is quite simple. This guy's controlling a little blue hedgehog and he's got to get to the finishing line within two minutes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's just like the Olympics. And then they can sit down and like... <laughs> Seriously, it's really, actually, I shouldn't care about whether some kid, you know, passed a stupid challenge, you know, 15, 16 years ago. But I'm sitting there going, come on, come on! Until, they, they, it, you know, when they get them, I'm like, get in there, son! It really is actually like watching reruns of old sports. So, was it, I, I seem to remember reading something about it was handled by the sports division of Channel 4 and treated as yeah. a sports show. That, yeah. That's, that's odd. But, yeah. is that, is that <laughs> I mean... <laughs> It's more of a magazine program, kind of, but... I don't know how that... I think what happens in TV is you have all these different departments uh, in television companies, and depending on where the channel is positioned at the time, you get little departments like religion. Religion's always got tons of money because there's not a lot of religious programming. Uh, And at that time, Channel 4 had no sports rights for anything. So they were setting up this channel. Oh, we we better have a sports department. We better allocate this amount of money to it. And all they had was Kabaddi. And so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they had Kabaddi and American football highlights, and that was it. So I think it was just a case of that um, someone thought, oh, this is quite a good idea. Who's got some money? Or let, let's give it to the guy who does sport. So you and positioned it, was, it as sports. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, but and, and that's a different way to present games as well, because that's something we don't really see. I mean, you, you watch the videos that get put up on, online. It's like, oh, yeah, there's the game playing, you know, someone just sh- showing everything that you want to see. But your challenges were always like, this is what you're going to be playing in the game itself. You know, collect 100 coins as fast as, or, or rings as it would have been on Son- Sonic as fast as Sonic. This was stuff you were actually going to be doing or could relate to if you've already got the game. So it, sure. it made it a bit more personal rather than just, you know, seeing gameplay footage and someone talking over the top of it. Yeah. And I think that, um, if uh, I think what made it as well, and, and this is this is blowing my trumpet a bit as well, was the fact that we did it with a sports style commentary, mm. and and I knew that even though yes, I was trying to make risque gags and everything, my absolute number one criterion for that series, and in fact every series was make these challenges just sound like they are the most exciting thing. <laughs> and I should have just how high my voice is pitched in series one because. I've, I've watched a couple of the opening links and it's about an octave higher than it is now. So I can <laughs> imagine what it was like when 
Pat Sharp was doing hot dog aerials on Winter Olympics on the Amiga. <laughs> Well, taking it back to Game Master a little bit, uh, you know, back to the beginning. How did you actually end up landing the job or presenting the show? I mean, the, the, who were the other uh, contenders for that role? What can you not say? Uh, it was uh, Jeremy Paxman, Jermaine Oh, Greer. God, no. God, no. Had, um, oh, no, you're kidding. You're kidding. Okay, well, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, was it was completely random in that I was, I was doing, uh, I had just done a degree in drama at Bristol University. I was doing stand-up comedy, which I started doing there. And they had, when I was still in my final year, they had additions for another Channel 4 show called The Word, which was a mm. horribly trendy youth show. Yes, I'm very familiar with Terry Christian. And yeah, and that was, uh, so they had open additions for that. It was uh, the first, I guess it was the first X Factor of its kind, really. They, uh, and they had 12,000 people auditioning, of which I was one. I got to the last 12 of that. 12,000 uh, potential presenters? <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ! That was at 12,000 desperate wannabes, and of which I was one. And so didn't got to the final 12, didn't get the show. But then Jane Hewland, again, genius that she is, she thought, right, we want someone new to present this show. Instead of me going through the whole rigmarole of trying to find someone, let's just ask those guys if there was anyone they think they could recommend. The, the company who made it, Planet 24, who made the work, they were just in Dalton's mm. side, Games Master as well. So she uh, asked, and uh, some of the guys there said, oh, take a look at this guy, uh, Dominic Diamond. So I went along and had to do, uh, it was in, not the, not the church we ended up using, it was in another church in the east end of London. Mm. And I had to do a commentary on, it was a really terrible, uh, big, chunky-faced uh, Game Boy <laughs> football game at the time, <laughs> being held in someone's hand, one of the researchers' hands playing it, and I had to do a commentary with Dave Perry. Right. It. And do a couple of links which I'd written, which I did talk about waggling joysticks. So you, you did a commentary on chunky faced football game, and they were like, "That is the one. He, he's he's yeah, the guy." Yeah, I, I have no idea who else auditioned for it, um, but uh, yeah, they they kept me student for another few weeks, and and then told me, and I remember I was doing this really horrible temping job at the time, and I, in Milton Keynes, where my parents lived. And uh, I was sitting, inputting information into a computer all day. And I was sat in a little room on my own. And I remember, I used to take my little Walkman in. um, Mm -hmm. For younger viewers, Walkman was an iPod back in the day. (laughs) It was uh, an iPod uh, with uh, only eight songs on it. A tape. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was listening to music to try and alleviate the boredom. And this horrible tosser of a boss came in and was like, you're not allowed to listen to that while you're working. And I was like, no one else is in here, dude. And I'm just sitting here putting like, no, you can't do it. So I sat there, and the next day I got the call from Adam Wood, the producer, and it said, um, oh, you've got the show. So I stood up, I packed my bags very slowly, walked it very calmly, and the, my boss at the time said, um, Diamond, where are you going? And I said, I'm off to be on the telly. Fuck you. And <laughs> <laughs> which, funnily enough, manner, <laughs> same manner I left most jobs in my broadcasting career. <laughs> so... Were you, a, were you a game player before that? Were you really into games, or was this something you just picked up upon the job? Did you have to fake it? I uh, was horrifically, uh, as my all my siblings were, addicted to the ZX Spectrum. Um, we used to have... Uh, <laughs> we had the little cupboard in our house that was the games cupboard. Uh, the Spectrum was set up in there. My, my dad was working on the oil rigs, which uh, I don't think there's any danger of police action to say this now, was a hotbed of ZX Spectrum <laughs> piracy. Uh, <laughs> He would, he would come back. Life Sinclair is going to break down your door. 
gonna he's gonna come he's gonna come up my drive in one of those little cars. <laughs> <laughs> we <not> found him. <laughs> and then, so my dad would come home with these great seats. It wasn't the oil rig from series no, two, was it? It? <laughs> yeah, it was the same field, the same oil field actually that we filmed the opening titles for. Oh God. Okay. Um, yeah, he would come up with these uh, big C90 tapes full of all these Spectrum games. And myself, my two brothers and my sister and I used to absolutely beat the living crap out of each other <laughs> for who would get the next shot of Daley Thompson's Decathlon or Chucky Egg or Match Day or, uh, or whatnot. Um, or um, what was, um, oh, what was, oh, there was a, there was a scramble, um, there's a version of Scramble in the Spectrum, but Pe- Penetrator. Oh, man. <laughs> Penetrator. <laughs> <laughs> That was sadly not featured in Games Master, where you could have gone to town on that one. I tell you what, that was innocent times. That back then you could name a game Penetrator and not get in trouble. Penetrator, where you smash the green dots deep inside the mysterious red square. Wow! It was almost certainly Melbourne House or someone that made that game. And (laughs) Penetrator was great because it was one of the first games that had a level editor. And I remember that... You would program these le- these uh, levels so they just had nothing but these kind of huge big towers that you could blow up for tons of points, and they would be the ca- the screen slowed down so much you literally went back in time because uh, <laughs> it couldn't update fast enough. But no, we were big uh, ZX Spectrum players. When I was at university, there was a, a game called Oh uh, Cyberball, I think it was. It was like yep. a future yep. American football game. Yeah, oh, we played that in the student union all the time. So, uh, so yeah, no, I was a games player. I, I, I didn't have the money to get a, an NES or anything. Oh, I, I paid my, I paid my dues. But it wasn't a career choice. You were thinking, you know, as you were working in the office, you know what? I, I, you know, I need to get into TV and games being one. Or you didn't fancy writing for the many magazines back then. No, in fact, in fact, the complete opposite. Um, I, I mean, I, I wanted to, well, I wanted to be a stand-up comedian, and then I wanted to be in telly. Uh, but no, I wanted to do chat shows, and actually, when when I got, I actually turned Games Master down actually after the first after the first pay offer that You're they gave. Shitting me! No, no, I did. They offered me the most derisory amount, and I thought at the time, look, you know, I'm doing stand up. I know the things, kind of things I want to do on telly. If I do a video game show, that might compartmentalise me in a way that I might struggle to get out of. Mm. And uh, yes, yeah, so I knocked them back, uh, but then they came back with a bit more money, and uh, I said yes. And it, you know, and it's a shame because. It did. Uh, it, it did compartmentalise me uh, in a lot of ways, and I was just. I was thinking that when I was getting ready for this interview, I was. I was thinking a lot about the show, and I think I, in a lot of ways, I did video games themselves a great disservice presenting the show. If I, yeah, I, I think I, I personally did by not not just in terms of my presenting, but in terms of interviews I did where I kind of played down my own personal enthusiasm for games. Hmm. Because I was like, oh no, this will be seen as a bit unhip and uncool, and I, I won't get the music radio show that I've always wanted, or I won't get the chat show. And it, when I ended up um, a couple of years ago, there was a phenomenal TV show called um, Video Guiding that was in Scotland on the BBC. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of Scottish guys who started off doing an internet show called Consylvania. And I made a couple of appearances on their show, and I was embarrassed by the passion and the commitment and the love that they showed of video games in a way that was just as funny, if not more funny, than Games Master ever was. And I thought, you know what, I really sold them short because these guys have shown 
that you can actually be really fun and you can be committed. You can actually say just how phenomenal these things are and how important they are as a mm. cultural force and still be funny and still be credible. But I think I was just so worried that I might be, you know, hamstrung by this being the video games guy that uh, I, I never quite conveyed how much I actually loved games. But to be, f- to be fair to you, that is something that really has only just recently come in, that you, know, you can be proud to be a geek, you can certainly be proud to be a gamer, and you know, the fact that we've had this conversation many times on the show, mm. it's now all right to say in public, yeah, I play games at the weekend, and you know, it's my hobby, so screw you if you don't like it, because it's becoming more acceptable. I'm not too sure, but I mean, what, I was a 12-year-old boy back then, so you know, it, it was perfectly fine for me to be playing games then, but I'm, you know, Imagine I can understand. Imagine being an adult, Imagine yeah, exactly. saying, yeah, I like Super Mario Brothers, and your 30-year-old mates are going, why? <laughs> yeah, and to be fair to you, um, is, I mean, if I think of old, oh, well, just TV shows that are based on games, I mean, Games Master is the first one that comes to mind. So to, sure. to think that, you know, yes, maybe you, you weren't taking it as seriously as possible, but that's one of the, the, the kind of benefits, I think, of it, because you, you knew kind of what you were doing. You know, it was it was jokey, it was fun, and it was great entertainment, and I think that's probably what you were more aiming for rather than trying to, you know, say great, you know, games in the future, they're going to be, you know, the biggest thing possible. So, yeah. you know, I like that. I think you're being a bit hard on yourself, Dom, as well, because yeah. yeah, it, it, it was a very important show for games. I think you kind of had to go with the flow in terms of public appreciation of them. I think you just about hit it right, as opposed to... I mean, it, I hasten to say that standing up and saying, no, 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 wait, take games seriously, and, and the entire nation would have gone, you know what? The Scotsman's right. We've got to start doing this. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I, I wouldn't beat yourself up, up over it. I mean, ultimately, more and more over the uh, series, there were more adults present and more adults playing games, and, and not just baffled celebrities, C-list, D-list, etc., being <laughs> so, you know, put in front of games they'd never played before, possibly in front of games when they'd never played games before, and, and doing badly. It was, you know, it, it, you were there as games grew up, as I said earlier. Yeah, and I, and I, I, ha- I have heard rumour that the video games industry has managed to survive in spite of my... <laughs> I hear rumours that it's still bubbling away out there. Well, if you look at the game's timeline on Wikipedia, you are there, you know, and it did say you know, massive setbacks caused by Dominic Diamond, but still, we survive, <laughs> we, pre- we prevail. Okay, so, to, to the celebrities... Yes. <laughs> with all respect to every single guest you've ever had on over the years, some of them seemed a little bit baffled, as I said, as to why they were there. Why were they there? For instance, I, I just watched Gabrielle play King of the Monsters. <laughs> Why? That's a great line from an Arctic Monkey song, isn't it? I just yeah. watched Gabrielle play King of the Monsters. Uh, why were they there? I think that was, it was like, like I said before, that you needed something to take it out of the realms of just being a, a, a show that had hints and tips and reports and reviews mm. of games. It was something to cross over into making it an, uh, a kind of acceptable form of light entertainment genre television. Mm. And we needed that. It's, you know, the, I mean, gosh, I, 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 I can't even imagine how many extra viewers we would have picked up when Take That were on, for example, even though, I mean, well, Robbie was a big gamer, um, mm. but he was the only one, I think, who was. But, you know, we had to have people like that on the show because that's, that's how you get three million viewers. Yeah. Well, you well, pick up all the female demographic in one fell swoop. You know, yeah, right. Take take note, Al. We're going to take that next week. 
Yes, that we will. Yeah. All except, <laughs> so, except for Robert. Them, you know, I think some some of the celebrities were used in, in really clever ways, ways. I think the most ingenious challenge we ever did was when we had uh, Jimmy White, who was playing on a real snooker table, mm. to clear up the colours before the computer on Jimmy White's whirlwind snooker could do it. Mm. Now that's in anyone's anyone's language. That's a, whether it's tomorrow's world or comic relief. That's a phenomenal bit of hell. <laughs> you need some help from an expert. Well, they don't come more intergalactic than ours. So let's take a trip to Games Master's consultation zone. Hello, Game Master. Welcome to my consultation area, up here on the helipad. How can I help you? I can't find the Blue Switch Palace in Super Mario World. Can you tell me where it is? Ah, that old chestnut. The Blue Switch Palace can only be reached from Forest of Illusion 2. There's a deceptively placed illusion wall toward the end of the level. Simply walk straight through it. Thank you very much. That's quite all right. Next, please. What was the Games Master Golden Joystick? It was a... What kind was it? It was a CH... Oh, I can't mind the name, but it was quite a... It was quite a, uh, a common joystick of the time. It was... Ah. Um, damn, I should really know this. That's yeah. really bad. <laughs> well, it's it's a, it's a, it's, uh, I just wanted to see if it was actually made of pure gold. I know. I hate to disappoint you. <laughs> but it was not pure gold. It was just a painted, a bog standard twenty quid joystick. You are smashing my dreams, sir. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Interesting. I actually I cruised eBay just to, to see if anyone was flogging theirs uh, on that. None, absolutely none. So everyone must Terrible. have really held on to them. Oh. You'd imagine you doled out hundreds over the years. So Do you have yeah. one yourself? No, I don't. Oh. Uh, in terms of games master artifacts that might be worth uh, money, I did come across the. Um, the uh, the Gore Special. I've still got the Gore Special on VHS. Yes. And there's a DVD cover mount from Games Master Magazine. I'm not sure if that's worth the uh, yep. money. Well, keep hold of it because uh, that's. I mean, I, I had to end up watching it on YouTube, but um, it's it's there. It was there when I last checked it. If ever, anyone wants to check that one out, that was that was the one that you put on off. Was it after midnight? Well, yes. Just so you could yeah. show the incredible amounts of gore in Mortal, Mortal Kombat. Kombat. Yeah. And was, yeah. at that stage, it was it was into the Mortal Kombat copycats, wasn't it? So um, it. Katsumi Ninja, I think. Katsumi Ninja, Bloodstorm. Yeah, you had top ten fatalities, and there was some primal rage in there, and there was that cheesy strip poker game, and oh. Actually, it, it's pretty grim, although you you do actually get some full frontal nudity, so I'm very glad you you did put that in after midnight because you'd have cr- trapped. Oh, fucking well, night it also trap. had me. I also had me saying, and and feel free to bleep this. Uh, no, 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 you don't. Um, shit, shit, piss, cunt, motherfucker, um, which was bleeped out, and uh, which I, I, I was was a, a regular phrase of mine uh, if ever I messed something up on set. Not to, not when we had live studio audience and I. I All right, right. And, uh, but they did that and we bleeped out, but not quite enough. It's still pretty obvious. <laughs> I say, and we did actually, um, because the C word and the mother effing word are the two most controversial words on television. Mm. And we did have an unbleeped motherfucker 
um, which was a clip from an Aliens game that we had a clip of, and you can, if you remember when we played it back, we forgot to bleep it. So it was a sound effect, and it was literally, the game was shouting that. Was that, was that yeah, the Jaguar version? Motherfucker! Oh. If you've got the original Doom, you can spice it up with one of the many Doom patches available. This alien add-on has creatures from the film, new levels, and rude sound bites. to our reviewers and finally a game that everybody's heard of but never played the tabloid friendly Night Trap in Night Trap what you basically had to do was catch the bad guys and stop but them from getting to the girls um, where, whenever the bad guys would go near a trap operate that and catch them simple easy peasy However, if you didn't catch them in time, they would then go on uh, to uh, do nasty and terrible things to the girls. As a game, it, it, it failed, because I, uh, I just let the bad guys go, and they went and got the girls in whatever way they saw fit. Adrian Price, proof that playing video games doesn't turn you into a complete arse. So what were some of your favourite guests throughout the years? Um, I, uh, do you know, I have to say, I know this is uh, very unhip, but I liked, I liked having Robbie Williams on from Take That. It was... The first of many times my paths crossed with Mr. Williams over the years, and there was always uh, great fun uh, to be had between us. He was a really, really nice guy. He was mm-hmm. a really, really funny guy. Um, Vic, Vic Reeves in Series 2, when he came on to play the comic relief game, which was a sleep Sleepwalker. Terrible. And he failed as well, and yet sort of <laughs> managed to keep his head up. <laughs> but, I mean, meeting me him was just, I mean, that was such a treat, because he was just the funniest, most surreal guy in the world that's nice uh, and I remember I always remember um, uh, when I said to him about whether he he had a fear of snakes because there was a snake in the game or something oh and yes yeah the thing that breathes through their teeth is something I fear breathes through their tongue or it was something yes funny. yes um, in uh. terms of uh, as the um, as the series went on it, it honestly genuinely was more and more about right who do we really fancy Kathy <laughs> Dennis, get her on. <laughs> Josie Lawrence, nice. And, but Zoe Ball was just the absolute. Number. Was uh, she, she was she like really foul as well, similar similar to you, and she was sort of throwing them back at you. Oh, she was filth incarnate. She <laughs> <laughs> was playing it. It was some motorbike arcade game, and uh, she was all in leather. And for some reason, we decided that that show was going to be a cross dressing show. And myself and uh, and Kirk Hewn, the co-commentator, we were dressed as women. Not for the first time. <laughs> no, because you were just a woman for the panto one. That, uh, it, so, yeah. yeah, and it was all it was all just jokes about oh slipping one in from behind with Zoe Ball and she was playing along with them and uh, she she was phenomenal. Tell me, uh, you said something about riding on a chopper. Yes, oh, of course I would have. Okay. And um, uh, when I have Wigfield we had on uh, when I married Wigfield. God, that dates it. Another great performance from Kirk Ewing as the vicar. And uh, what was what was funny about that one was, uh, I mean, A. Wigfield, being European, just didn't have a clue yeah. what we were doing, right? She was like, what is happening? I'm supposed to be doing this video game thing. We're getting married? What? what is oh, yeah, she married? did marry Wigfield. I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I was thinking, hang on, did, did Dom actually marry Wigfield? Oh, no, no, it was on the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, what was, there was a lot of times because... 
of the sheer technical nightmare that we had of rigging up like arcade games to get a television signal meant the mm. show so dangerously close to just uh, running out of time every single day. And I remember the Wickfield one. We literally had 60 seconds to record the final link. And I'd written the script for Kirk and um, Kirk had a really annoying habit of just wandering off of line. <laughs> and... Um, and it was like, right, so Kurt, all you've got to say is, uh, do you, Dominic, blah, 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 take you, Wigfield, blah, 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 you know, you may kiss the bride. And it, he's doing it, I'm running out of time, and I'm getting the big wind-up from the flow manager going, that's it, the, the electricians are about to cut the signal, it's the last day of filming, we're going to be screwed. And then Kurt comes to the last line, and he says, you may now tongue the bride. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that we had to go out with that thing, and luckily it went over Wigfield's head a little bit. And uh, so, yes, that was it. Uh, Series 5, episode 13, 1995, if anyone wants oh. to check that one out. So, then, on the flip side, did anyone point-blankly turn you down? And what were some of the worst guests? Oh, Mr. Well, I, I don't really know the answer to the first one. I, we didn't a lot. We didn't get turned down by a lot of people. Um, this is strange. I, I was gutted that I never managed to get Manic Street Preachers on. Uh, they were huge fans of the show. I um, started hanging out with them as a result of... The fact they loved Games Master so much, and I, I had a, a video games column in Smash Hits at the time, and I kept going on about the Manix every single week, and then finally uh, I got to meet them, and we did what was then their first ever kind of mainstream interview back in like '93 or something, '93 something. But uh, I desperately, they were so keen to come on, and it was just scheduling conflicts for literally six years in a row, and we could not get them on. So I was gutted about that. Uh, but in terms of who was the most unpleasant, two people, head and shoulders above the rest, Mr. Motivator and Vinnie Jones. <laughs> oh, two very well, similar men, clearly. Well, for our American public, they will probably know Vinnie Jones by now, but Lots Mr. Motivator, like, you've got to explain what Mr. Motivator was. So was he just foul-mouthed? There's an American equivalent, isn't there? The kind of little fat guy with the curly hair who's a oh. bit of a fitness guru on American TV and his name escapes me, Richard someone. Richard Simmons. Richard Simmons, that's it. Mr. Motivator was basically like the black British version of Richard Simmons. <laughs> Overly upbeat, like, you know, yeah. come on, let's get it working, people. Leotard, yeah. Yeah, big smiles on breakfast TV, nicest guy in the Bum world. Bag. Hey, not when the cameras aren't rolling, he wasn't. He was a really? total... <laughs> <laughs> what a miserable... Bastard! He was just the grumpiest. Oh, are we, can, can we can we get going? Are we ready to get? Can we do this now? Well, well you, he was motivating you effectively. <laughs> he was the most demotivated <laughs> in the world. Um, um, Vinnie Jones was. Um, I mean, Vinnie Jones is exactly as you would imagine. Um, terrifying. Very, very scary. He is very gruff and um, very financially orientated. Like I say, we often have things that overran in the show and Vinny was very different Vinny would just sit in his trailer become oh I'm sorry I'm anywhere running half an hour after 500 quid (laughs) 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 and and he just held us to ransom all the time we'd come in sorry we're still running over the number 500 (laughs) I'm trying to imagine I'm trying to imagine you standing up to Vinny Jones and I'm getting that episode of extras where Ross Kemp Pissed him <laughs> off accidentally. He's like, oh, are you odd? And like, uh, no. I, 
I see episode 17 of series 4 you've got Natalie and Brulier on was she nice oh she was just gorgeous um, but I, I didn't make any connection with her at all and I was uh-huh. humiliated because I went to a, a birthday party for uh, the Face magazine in London it was probably the trendiest party I ever got invited to in that time and uh, she was at that party and I was like oh here we go I've got the in Natalie and Brigley hey, hi Natalie how you doing total blank oh, oh. So, yeah me yeah games master didn't even remember oh. how long was that in between seeing her that, the next day that, oh shit <laughs> but the, the only consolation of that at that same party I did grab Kylie Minogue's bum though <laughs> Um, which uh, was one of the greatest things I, I ever did in my life. She was on the dance floor, and Mia and Kirk. You'll notice Kirk's with me a lot during this time. And um, so we were walking across the dance floor, probably to get to Natalie and Bruglia, and Kylie Minogue was there. And I know it's uh, it's borderline abusive, uh, and it's shameful behaviour, but uh, I did reach out and grabbed her ass. Why? Because I could. What, were you, you a dominant diamond, that's why. Were you trying to get her on the show? Was that your way? No, it was just purely just that it looked nice. <laughs> Fair enough. And uh, not that we wouldn't do that ourselves. Uh, I can do that kind of behaviour. A couple of questions. What was up with the sets? Why a church? Why a, an oil rig? Oh, uh, my wife had a theory on this one. Um, yeah, right, okay, right. Series one, a church. Series two, an oil rig. Series three, a prison. Series four, hell. Series five, heaven. Series six, Atlantis. Series 7, Desert Island. She said, basically, it's where men go to be alone. <laughs> <laughs> With the possible exception of Atlantis, uh, I think she's, she's kind of got something there. I mean, what? That's not, that's not a bad theory, actually. Um, the, the, there was, initially, it was, what's a controversial setting? A church. We thought, this is, uh, a, this is, a, new, uh, this is a new thing. Video games are a bit new, they're a bit dangerous. Let's try and be controversial by sitting in a church. And let's try and convey the idea that this is some kind of new religion. Right. So that was the kind of meta text behind series one. Series two, the oil rig, no idea. That came from <laughs> the fetid imagination of Cameron McAllister, the director. I can only imagine it was uh, environmental in nature. And I'm assuming that was when Mick and Mac in McDonald land came out. So, you know, while you were preaching this whole, you know, run around the world squirting it with detergent to clean it up, which is obviously what McDonald's was trying to uh, get people to do, um, you were also pumping oil out of the sea. I don't know. I, I think, do you know what? <laughs> Circle of I life. Think, I, <laughs> I think the, the sad reality is, is you, know when, um, you know when you get a band and they have a, a really big first hit and then yeah. you see the video for that second single and they've spent a fortune on it uh, I remember the most uh, do you remember this band called The Bravery who had mm-hmm. a song yeah. an honest mistake right and yeah. their second single that tanked the video was them all riding jet skis around New York Harbour and it cost millions and millions and that's what happens when you have a big hit with your first single so I, I honestly think what happened was we had the, had the big hit with the first series and Cameron McAllister was like right let me put on my Francis Ford Coppola hat. What would I like to do? I'd love to <laughs> sequence flying around in helicopters around an oil rig in the North Sea. And I think it all came from there. I was going to say, which one was your favourite? Ireland's got to be good. You had chicks hanging around all the time, giving you pineapples. Well, in terms of, um, in terms of like, the actual setting and how it looked, um, well, I, just, to, just to, to finish off the through line with the, the set, set three was the prison. I don't know why they did that. Set, you know, series three, everyone tries to block out the memories. We'll talk uh, about that series, in a bit. Series four, when, uh, when I came back, 
Series 4 was in hell. Yep. The theory was I died at the end of the oil rig set in Series 2. Uh, and then at the end of Series 4, the theory was I... What was uh, Series 5? Heaven. Yeah, fell from heaven into the sea for the next series because I was cast away from heaven for being too controversial. And then after the sea, washed up on a desert island. Up on a desert island. So there was a through line for the last four series anyway. Brilliant. And so that's quite that's quite a deep subtext for what was essentially just a game show that at the time was pretty much aimed towards kids or felt like it well, was. Well, by that yeah. point, they had the shaman playing wipeout. It's but it's all part of that whole thing about us trying to to do something that was in entertainment forms and TV entertainment forms that was bigger than they, than they were giving video games credit for. Mm. Um, I think the most spectacular set was the, the last one, the Desert Island set, because mm. we went into a huge, big, empty studio. We filled it with sand. We filled it with water. I mean, it was, it was you're talking movie-style budget. That, so that was, uh, that was probably the best set. In terms of the best series... Um, no, I think um, I don't know. Heaven was probably the the peak. We had, yeah, heaven was probably the peak in terms of what we were trying to do in terms of the features. Yeah, heaven was probably the best. And was which one was generally then? Because, of, like you say, this it was an expensive production. By the sounds of it, time you got towards the back end of the you know all the series is put together. So, was it paying for itself? You know, were the were the ratings particularly high? Oh, massive, gosh! It's, I mean, it's amazing when you, I mean I don't know because I've you know left the UK a year ago, but when I left, I mean a big show on Channel Four was getting still getting you know two million for a Channel Four top ten show. Um, you know that's what we were getting. We had we peaked at three million series two, and then we floated between two and three million for the rest of the series. Um, so not it was still a huge show. No, the ratings didn't the ratings didn't dip at all. It was just. The fact that we had, um, we always had a very interesting relationship with Channel 4. Mm. And the, the longer we went on, the more we genuinely did start to get complaints from parents because the less we cared about trying to hide the adult content of the show. Yeah. And so things got less and less subtle and there's more and more complaints. And so then there was, we just assumed that we were getting taken off the air at the end of Series 6. That's why the um, the last show of Series 6, which was one of my favourites, where we had the offence-ometer running throughout the show, mm. and I pretended to get keep getting calls from Channel 4, warning <laughs> me that if I said one more thing, the show would be cancelled. Now, I mean, forget, you just don't get people doing that on TV shows. Like shows. Alan Partridge. Yeah. as fiction, but yeah. we were doing it as a factual show. So... Uh, and then there was just that bizarre situation where we all thought that was it. And then, you know, we're all going off and planning different things. And then we get a phone call saying, oh, Channel 4 actually won another series. And they just forgot to tell us. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> then we had to cobble together this this show in the in the space of a few weeks. You may remember a few weeks ago, we put out the call for the best video game players to audition for the Games Master Team Championships. Well, this is it. The biggest video games audition ever. Out of 5,000 applications, we were looking for just 27 teams to compete in the championship for real. The game was tough, as the teams had to battle it out on Street Fighter 2, leg it through Mario World and burn rubber around the Monaco circuit in F1. <laughs> Nice one. Well done. Hello, mate. What's your name? All right. You're on telly. Don't be scared. 
I'm actually not going to be a contestant. I'm after your job. Yeah, I know that. Are you, are you going to have the microphone? Okay. Right. You going to make it through? Of course. Well, we've met you once. I'm sure we'll meet you again later. So, uh, Nixon, yeah. what, what do you think about the game so far? Yeah, it's really good. Thanks, Simon. Give that back, mate. Cheers. <laughs> Lovely kid. See you later. Let's go and have a look around. Well, Alex, I think now would be the good point to, to touch on the, the low part of the uh, the entire series. Yeah, OK, right. And speaking of people taking offence just generally with, with the tone or possibly just mainly with you, um, I was going to be very careful in sidestepping around the issue of Series 3. Um, I, you mentioned something earlier which sort of put my mind to rest. Why couldn't you do Series 3? Because uh, it was sponsored by McDonald's. And, and I used to have anything to do with that company for uh, my own political... Ah, so it was you so who decided against that, not McDonald's who said we don't want Dominic. No, 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 not at all. No, no, I'd, I'd said to him, uh, I'd said to Jen Tulin, the boss, I'd said, uh, when the minute I heard it, basically there was a comic called Crisis. Uh, I was a big 2008 day reader as a kid, mm-hmm. and there was a comic called Crisis in particular that had a, a strip called Third World War mm-hmm. by uh, the guys who did uh, uh, Judge Dredd. It was Alan Grant and Carlos Esquerra drawing it. Sorry, I am a big comics geek. No, no, And this strip was all about how burger companies were uh, destroying the third, the third world. Mm. So after that, I, I stopped eating McDonald's, and then when it came to they were sponsoring it, I was aghast. I was horrified. I said to Jane, I... I'm not going to do it with McDonald's sponsor. It. Uh, she got back to Channel 4. Channel 4 said, tough, we've signed a deal. And uh, I said, well, that's it. I'm I'm going. So so I went. Well, that principle, for God's sake. So then how do you come back for season four? Because they gave me a cast iron guarantee that the McDonald's sponsorship was ending. There are still McDonald's idents on series four, but the contract they signed was for two years. Right. So basically, they well, they got me back because Series 3 was a complete car crash. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, the ratings plummeted, and there was a, some very big groveling phone calls, and I said, I want it in writing, that there's going to be no more sponsorship of this show from McDonald's when the current contract ends. So it's, I came back. It says here, for the third series, Dexter Fletcher became the main presenter. This change was criticised by fans who saw the new host as over-the-top and too in-your-face. So basically he was poochified by uh, some sort of uh, focus group who were like, we need him to be in your face. And I go, oh, get off that. And yeah. I don't know. I have no special hatred of Dexter Fletcher, but the, you know, when I, even when I was a kid, at what, this would have been about 13, I was like, mm. hang on a second, something's not right here. Who's this guy? Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, uh, they they dropped all of the co-presenters and put Dave Perry on as a regular co-host. And they tried to make it, by the looks of it, a bit more focused on just doing one challenge throughout the whole uh, episode, which made it much more boring because you were like, oh, come on, I'm sick of this football game or whatever. Um, you know, I, honestly, I, I have not watched more than a few minutes of that series. I, I, I mean, I know roughly what happened in it, but... Uh I was, bit, I was, I was really ticked off. I remember, I, I obviously watched the opening of it because you're going to the vanity reasons. Yeah, yeah. I remember, Dexter Fletcher held up the your jacket. Anyway, the hated red jacket. And this, this bloke's burnt out. Yeah, on like, level two. Yeah, I was like, oh, you, you vindictive little shits. I thought there's no reason to do that, but you know, my experience of working in the media. Oh, see when you leave a show, holy cow. There is just, it all turns on you. It all, it's the most horrific, dishonourable uh, kind of line of employment, the most, the most horrible, dishonourable way of living ever. 
That's I, what I mean. They got you back for the next season, which normally is unheard yeah. of. If if a person walks, I mean, it, you t- you chose to walk, and I you know fully agree with your decision at that point. It, it makes complete sense now. When you know my my twelve year old self was just upset, you know, that you'd left the show, but. Yeah. You don't normally get invited back, so I can only imagine that the ratings on that, there was plenty of people like me who's like, oh, this is rubbish, I'm not watching this. Yeah. Although you did miss Two Unlimited. <laughs> <laughs> I know Miss Simon Anstel. True. Simon Anstel from the, Nevermind the Bus Calls, yeah. who was a, he was a, a punter on that programme. He was a challenger on that series. Well, as, a, as like a kid or something. Yeah, I missed the chance to cross paths with him. I would like to have met him. And indeed, Randy Savage and the Mary Whitehouse experience. Wow, this is like the, 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 this is, this captured the age by having on all the goofy B-list stars of the time, <laughs> of Britain at least. Okay, so, that was series three, and you came back for series four, and carried on with that. Um, as it, as the show went on, and the PlayStation came in, and the 3DO, and all the other various consoles aimed at adults with massive pay packets, or, um, I mean, the PlayStation, a kid could not afford a PlayStation on, on pocket money and mowing lawns. It would, <laughs> you'd have to mow a hell of a lot of lawns to get that. So, but they were also growing up and getting jobs. So, you know, the, the, the whole industry was maturing. How did that affect the show? <laughs> Never use a word like maturing. Yeah. Uh, without a show. We, uh, maturing, in inverted commas. You know, it's it's bizarre because we we never, you know, we obviously helped, you know, kick the the video games industry into a different level, and mm. uh, but we never really saw ourselves as as part of the industry, part of the video games industry. We were part of the TV industry, and for us, things like the 3DO and the PlayStation, uh, pure and simply for us, it meant. Games with better visuals, which equals a better television spectacular. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we weren't aware of of the kind of financial side or anything. It was just it just got better and better for us. The, the better the visuals became. So why did it all end? Um, do you know what? I'm not really sure. I think I think it was a mixture of a couple of things. We we got really pissed off with Channel Four when they moved the time slot. They moved us from 6.30 to 6 o'clock mm. uh, so we could be a warm-up for Hollyoaks, which was struggling. And mm. this was their big soap opera, um, and it was dying on its ass in the ratings. So they basically moved us to becoming Hollyoaks warm-up, which arguably saved that show. And now you know it's still on Channel 4 to this day, as, as far as I'm aware. We didn't like it because it just meant there was a whole lot of people who just could not get back from work in time to watch the show. So our ratings were going to suffer. Mm. Sky Plus it. But did they even VHS it is what yes. it means. No, no, that's exactly what I meant. It was meant to be as an ironic joke. I know, I know. But today it's so different. I mean, everything's available on the internet or you know to put it onto your hard drive, whatever. But back then, yeah, I mean, trying to find the video plus number and type that in, and you know, the sixteen digit number was just insane. And, and quite honestly, you know, the time slot obviously didn't suit it. And you, I'm assuming you couldn't argue for the time slot after Hollyoaks. No, because then you were into that. Seven o'clock was always Channel Four News, and then after that, you were into you know the kind of the so-called quote-unquote big shows, which again was ironic, given that we were getting bigger ratings than those so-called quote-unquote big shows, and it would have been fascinating to see what we would have done if we'd been on at eight o'clock or, or nine o'clock. We did argue for a late-night slot. Mm. In fact, I think at one point there might have even been an ultimatum given during Series Six, which was we were only interested in doing another series if it was going to get a late night slot because we, we felt we had done everything we, we could have done with 
different settings and different attitudes and different backstories. We'd done everything we could with video games at that time slot. The only other thing we could possibly have done would have been to make it very, very much more adult, much more mature. And Channel 4 just said no. So if I remember correctly, that's what was happening towards the end of Series 6, which is why we did the, you know, this show's ending mm. on the air. Uh, I'm interested in this idea of the, the more adult games master. I'm assuming it wouldn't just have been like the Gore special every week. No, I think it probably would have been. <laughs> I think <it> was, <laughs> I, uh, what I, other game with blood can we get in? Uh, Night Trap? <laughs> I, I think that by then, um, the, it had become pretty self-indulgent, but in a way that, that still carried most of the audience along with it, I think we probably would have disappeared completely up our own arse. I think it would have got more and more surreal. Um, but then again, you look at something like um, uh, uh, this Sky Sports, the Saturday morning football show. Uh, what's it called? The one that's been running for ages. Tony, Helen, you. Helen Chamberlain does it. Um, football oh. Focus. That's the one in the evening. Um, yeah. Soccer um, Saturday. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Soccer AM, Soccer AM. That's, that's it, right. Okay. Now, that has got the most surreal comic in-jokes and characters that are just off the scale. So I guess that shows that maybe you can keep on doing it like that and keep going and keep going. We only had we had one more set up our sleeve, and that was a pirate ship. Oh. You have an eye patch. I would have watched that. That would have been awesome. Yeah, that was it. But I, again, I, you must remember that by this stage, many of the creative... Uh, influences of the show were drinking a lot and doing a lot of drugs and so it's quite hard for some of us to remember points in time in the timeline in terms of when we came up with stuff. When the pirate ship one, we're never quite sure if that was one we had at the time or that was one we had like in 2005 on one of those occasions we got together and went you know what, if it did come back, where would we set it? <laughs> so so, who was this team? Because you mentioned a couple of them already, and basically, if if you want to give them their, their props, now is the time. Who who did you work with? Ah, oh, there's there's basically, I mean, there was two stages of Games Master. There was the first couple of series um, where the creative team was was uh, Jane Hewland, me, and then Adam Wood, the producer, Cameron McAllister, the director. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the first two series. Putting aside series three, from series four on in was what. I think of as the kind of the real golden age of, of Games Master. The creative team then was uh, Johnny Finch, the producer, Steve Wright, the director, <coughs> Richard Wilcox, who was our senior researcher, uh, myself, and Jane Hewland still. And uh, those were the people that were responsible for it. Jane was great. Jane was amazing because by then her the success of Games Master had allowed her company to go on and do other things. So she was taking more and more of a backseat, and it would literally be the four of us would just get so messed up. <laughs> <laughs> really just beyond off the scale and come up with the stuff and then the next day we'd look at it again and so much of that ended up in the show. And we would run it by Jane. And Jane would just say, too much, too much, too much. No, that's okay, that's okay, that's okay. And uh, I think I hear that... Um, the, uh, it's very similar to the way the Beatles came up with uh, Sergeant Pepper. Yeah. So they, they were the guys, Johnny Finch, Steve Wright, Richie Wilcox, Jane Tuland, uh, and myself, um, and, and lots of other researchers. Never, we had um, a guy, Drogo Mitchie, who was the guy in charge of making all those amazing sets. He was our art director. What an incredibly talented guy. Um, 
Nick Sadler was our kind of chief cameraman as well. All those guys. And what was amazing was that, and this is what you saw, this is what I realized uh, later on in my career, and this in fact was unfortunately how spoiled I was to have a show like Games Master at the start of it. You very rarely get a situation where you get so many people who utterly believe so much in what they're doing. You work on any TV show or any radio station, and at least 50% of the people working on it are bitching behind the backs of the other 50%. Mm. And moaning about this and moaning about that and everything. And Games Master was just this pure thing where every single person was just on board and loving it. Best magazine. I was thinking about that the other day. Yeah. I was trying to second guess questions you would ask me. I thought, oh, what yeah. Well, we haven't best. asked about Games Master magazine, but it's still going. I'd say Games Master magazine <laughs> was the best. <laughs> Did I mean, you have any involved in that at all? I, I, well, I, just sorry, just on the best thing. I, I was trying to whether it would be uh, the one. Which is the classic Amiga magazine or PC Zone? See, I, I, I never had an Amiga. Tony did, so, uh, oh, so was the one any good? I don't one know. Was, it, one, the one was funny because it had at the time it had people like um, oh gosh, uh, Jane Goldman, aka Mrs. Jonathan Ross, mm-hmm. uh, Paul Lakin was another funny writer. A lot of guys who ended up going on to PC Zone actually, mm. uh, but it was oh the one the one was basically like the funny computer magazine before PC Zone came along. There was one magazine, I think, Tony, you got the first issue of it, Arcade. Arcade. That was a kind of a later one, but uh, that, that, that was good. Uh, I used to really like Meme Machines, uh, although I did also fall prey to, because I owned a Mega Drive, that all the Sega propaganda mags like Sega Power and, and just the amount of shit they'd throw at Nintendo in every single letters column and every single article. They'd be like, oh, it's better than Nintendo. Yeah. Neil West, I think, was the editor of that at one point. He was one of our co-commentators. Yeah. You had everyone on. That, it, it felt like there was this giant incestuous sort of family of video game um, journalists out there, all working on their own individual magazines, but they all crossed by the Games Master docks to uh, yeah. you know, check in and give their 5 to 10%, you know? But isn't that fantastic? Because I still walk into shops nowadays, and I see Games Master still on there, and it still raises a smile, not because I'm ever likely to buy the magazine ever, it's just that it goes Print is dead. Uh, no, just because it brings back the memories of Games Master, the TV series. Mm. So, I mean, like I say, did you have any involvement in the magazine, or was that just a, a side shoot of, you know... Just, whole- it was just, uh, the, for a while I did Dominic's Big Purple Column. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which was very, very enjoyable. I mean, that Shocking. was completely self-indulgent. Uh, that, so, no, that was all... We, I mean, to be honest... Uh, when the magazine first came out, I thought they did a phenomenal job. The look of it, the way they incorporated the Games Master graphical style was amazing. I mean, they spent a lot of money. Mm. The guy, Jim Douglas, who was one of the first editors of it, oh, what a fantastic guy he was. Mm. He was one of the funniest guys, one of the loveliest editors that I ever wrote for. Um, so it was not the big, I mean, I have no idea what the magazine's devolved into but certainly when it started it was i thought it was it did a really really good job of, of taping the tv show and you guys had integrity as well whenever you i mean you would review games that you knew were shit just to make sure kids knew that these were they were not to be swayed by the box art or pillocks in the playground telling them these games were good when they were shit you told them that they were shit 
Yes, and it's very funny, actually, because uh, uh, I was once, there was once, and I'm not going to mention any names of any companies and individuals. Fair enough. was a very attractive PR lady mm-hmm. of a certain games company who got wind of the kicking we were going to give one of her company's games, or rather her boss did. Was it Activision? Was sent, not giving them much. <laughs> she was sent down while I was in the edit suite, because by that point I was, I was editing and directing segments of Games Master as well. Uh-huh. I was told to stop at nothing to get me to change the score, whether that involved money, drink, drugs, or even blowing me, right? <laughs> See, was I was just going to say she was sent down to persuade you, but then you went right out and just said that, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, she was really pretty as well, oh. she, but, I, but I didn't. I'd really like to know the name of that game, but um, it's okay. You can you can mm. leave that one secret, but uh, yeah. So <laughs> it was Mick and Mac in McDonald's. Land, <laughs> So then Games Master finishes. What happened to Dominic Dyer? What did you go on to do? What are you doing now? Uh, what did I, do? I went on to to, um, to wreck what could have been a really, really successful media career. Uh, like I say, it was, you know, Games Master spoiled me. They were uh, in the, I just assumed every experience of working in television would be like that. I went on to do a lot of sports stuff on Channel 5 straight from Games Master. Mm-hmm. Uh, a late night uh, show called Live and Dangerous, a uh, Saturday morning sports show called Turnstile, uh, both of which I left within a year because it just it wasn't the same as Games Master. Um, I had my own. Luckily, I managed to uh, inveigle myself in the BBC. I was doing a lot of radio stuff on Radio Five, and I started my own production company and was making shows for them and shows for a wee channel called BBC Choice, and then became BBC Three. But again, it wasn't the same and. I just got I got into that kind of habit of if I didn't like something, I would tell people that were way too important just to fuck themselves, uh, which really just don't do, kids. Don't ever do that. I felt like saying, well, it worked with, it worked with McDonald's, you know. <laughs> the big guys. It worked with the guy from the temp agency before Games Master. <laughs> yes, exactly. So this is the problem. So then I, uh, and then I, I had a, a slight uh, bit of a breakdown, and I went to the Lake District and then uh, made it worse. And then I went up to Scotland for a few years. And do you know what was amazing when I went up to Scotland? I started doing TV stuff uh, up there again. And then I finally ended, I finally got the dream job that I always wanted in my whole life, um, which is I've always loved music. Music has always been my absolute number one thing, mm-hmm. which is why in the middle of doing a video games column for Smash Hits, it was all about Manic Street Preachers. So I always used to listen to the station called XFM in London, which was a new music station yeah. they, they were launching in scotland and in 2006 i got uh, the breakfast show and was the guy who launched that whole station and that was Brilliant. the first year since since games master that i was like this is what it was like on games master this is a bunch of people doing something new us against the world it's new it's vibrant and exciting and the great thing is about that time that far from being this death blow to my career that I was always worried Games Master would be, it helped that show so much because there were so many exclusive interviews I got with bands at the time just because they were part of that generation who'd grown up with Games Master. So like uh, Ricky Wilson from the Kaiser Chiefs, Paul Smith from Maximal Park, Mike Skinner from the Streets, they were all <laughs> Games Master daft. <laughs> it would be like, oh no, they're not doing any interviews. And I would say, no, tell them it's Dominic Diamond. Bang. They'd be there like in an hour. They'd be phoning up. Oh my not god! The least bit surprised. And the the the, be, the two best examples of that were the Fratellis, who mm-hmm. we helped launch uh, on XFM, and they just 
they were just so against Master Daft, but the best one was the Arctic Monkeys. <laughs> the biggest band and biggest new band in Britain in 2006. They came up and they were playing the uh, um, Carling Academy in Glasgow. I think it was part of the NME tour. Every radio presenter in Scotland, every TV, everyone was just like hanging outside, desperate, just for the slightest sentence from them. I was on their tour bus with them saying, what do you mean you haven't got any golden joysticks left? <laughs> <laughs> and it was just because of Games Master. And I could not, and that was the, I had such an amazing time on that show for a year and a half before, unfortunately, a suit took over who was a tosser and that ended. Um, but the most amazing year and a half, which would not have been so amazing had it not been for Games Master all that time ago. So did I hear you right before say so you have a book coming out? Uh, yes, I do. This this is why I, I remember some of this stuff more clearly than I <laughs> might have. Because, uh, yeah, no, I'm writing a book just now. It's coming out in May uh, next year. And uh, can I say that's not why I'm doing this? this oh, no, no, that's fine. I was like, it's just because you guys... Even if it was, we'd be just very happy to have you on, seriously. Well, I had a look at your site and I listened to the podcast where you're talking to that guy about the sanctity of old games and how we should preserve them. Oh, and yeah. I thought, I thought, you know what, this is actually, this is talking about games. In the same way that mm. I liked... Uh, Consulvania video guiding was because you know it's treating them as important kind of cultural artifacts it's treating them like they are works by Dickens Shakespeare whatever which is what they should be totally. um, but uh, but anyway my book is not going to be like Dickens or Shakespeare uh, so <laughs> it's about uh, my life as a, a Celtic supporter uh, just following them around the uh, assorted um, religious problems and bigotry that I suffered as a result and just Mental stories. There's a few. There's a few good games master stories uh, in there. So it's my my football memoirs. Basically, it's coming out in May that I'm trying to write. Have you got a title for it yet? Or it is called a Celtic and Me Confessions from the Jungle by Dominic Diamond. The Jungle was the the classic old uh, Celtic stand. Well, the the second that it's out on Amazon, we're going to put a link to it on the site. Okay. Do you know what? That will make all the difference. Thank you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Sell ten thousand copies. Uh, for that big percentage of the royalties to kick in, I can tell her now that it's safe. So. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. We we get at least. Would you say ten thousand listeners, Tony? A, a at million, least. A, at least. Million, yeah. Million, that's, million. That's yeah, slightly less than ten thousand, but n- not an inconsiderate amount, definitely. And then they will all be really pleased to be listening to you right so, now. A big question is: Are you still playing games? Is this something that you've just left behind you? It's like, yo, know, I'm, I'm done with that now. Or, you still know, like still you, playing the you, Spectrum. You said you have a Wii. But do you have any other consoles other than just the Wii? Oh, I've, I've still got absolutely everything. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I don't have the Xbox 360 because I gave that. What? To my um, <laughs> I don't know. This was a really silly. I gave my Xbox 360 to my brother when I left the UK. Okay, understandable. He was, was skint, and I said, "Well, look, take my Xbox 360. You can either give it to your son as a Christmas present or sell it." Right. So, ah. Um, I know, which was very annoying because then there was because it meant that I couldn't play the latest uh, GTA game. Mm. Which was annoying. Because I hear they sell Xboxes in Canada. They do, but yeah, it's a lot of chicken feed. You know? <laughs> Very so, true. Okay. Yeah, I'm a poor farmer these days. Well, not that poor, but I'm still a farmer. But basically, I have um, I've got a, a bizarre schizophrenic attitude to video games these days. I only really, really enjoy them if I can make some kind of grand emotional connection mm. with them and with a storyline. But at the same time. I dread games like that because I just get obsessive and I have to finish them. And then that's like a week taken out, which three small children, poor immigrant in a new land, etc., etc., you can't mm. do. Mm. So th- things like um, when GTA 4 
came out. I mean, that was it for two weeks. I did yeah. nothing. I yeah. genuinely did nothing apart from play that game. Um, uh, things like uh, uh, Call of Duty as well. Yeah. You know, bang, that's a week gone. When and they at the same time, I have, because I've got like my, my oldest daughter Molly is eleven, uh, and she plays all this sim crap and everything. Mm. But I just can't get my head round. But we are sluts for. Uh, PlayStation Live and your little the three on three NHL downloadable game, the uh, Pain Ragdoll Kung Fu. Oh, so at least you do have a PS3 then. That's that's great. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, so we we play all the kind of quick games on that. I started to play. I got Fallout Three for Christmas last year. <laughs> I started to play shortly after we moved here, and it sucked away forty eight hours. And yeah. I literally had to throw it away into the corner like I would a wrap of cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> Get Be gone, Satan. So uh, I mean, that's sitting there, and I was thinking uh, the other day because. Um, I finally got my work permit in Canada, mm-hmm. and I okay. Well, you know, I I write a column in the paper here, and radio stations over here have been in touch and said, "Oh, you know, do you want to come and do odd bits for us?" I thought, well, you know, I came here to try and do something new, and I, I like the whole idea of growing more veg, and that's pretty good. And I thought, well, let's yeah. try a new career. And I went to I went to a job fair, and it was very depressing. It was all stuff like um, it was just like what I call Mick jobs. It was all like call centers and factories and everything. And I thought, but. Temping. See if I did a, a nine to five job, right? That would mean I could actually just come home and unplug and just play Fallout Three. Yeah. And then not have to worry about anything else until I clocked in for work. The joys uh, of being a normal person. Yeah, it's, it, it, it does kind of have that appeal. I tell you what. I, what I hate. Mm. What I hate with an absolute passion. Mm. What I will never, ever, ever put my fingers round again. Working for McDonald's. To do with. <laughs> Tar and Hero. <laughs> oh, man. Does this also include rock and band? A rock hero, rock band, anything band. Oh, Dom, you're breaking my balls. But why well, is this? That Because it's evil. Because okay, right, you're going to have to argue a bit further than that, because we love the rock band. a future generation of guitar players. Oh, just pick that up, and they play, and they go, hey, brilliant, you know, I can play Metallica on this. And then they pick up a real guitar, uh-huh. and they go, Oh, actually, it's nothing like this. And then they throw that real guitar away. Dominic, so, are you telling me that the kids with genuine musical talent and inclination will not be able to play guitar? What we're losing is the incompetent guitarists. <laughs> <laughs> the only the Eddie Van Halens are going to get through. So as far as I can say, it's, it's more like training. And, you know, if you can't get past boot camp, then, uh, then I mean, and, and also with the drumming, we're, we're gonna, the market is now flooded with competent drummers. Hey, I'm going to be a DJ soon. I'm a guitarist, and I honestly think mm. that I think we're destroying a, a future generation of guitarists with Guitar Hero. I hate it. I'm, I'm, we I could do a whole we show, do a whole on, show on that. Get yeah. back for that one, yeah. We, cause, <laughs> I, would, cause I mean, obviously, it, like, like, like a lot of things I say, I, I say it with no factual evidence. We need some charts. We need to see how many new guitarists have emerged onto the market in the past few years. But, you know, if the Jones yeah, brothers are anything to go by. If there is any, any correlation, I would doubt very much because the two disciplines are just so completely and utterly different. I would say the opposite is actually true. I would say that the kids are now, I mean, kids are now playing the Beatles, whereas they would never have been interested in them yeah. before. I'd say it's probably only a small portion of the market, really, of the, of the kids that are into the Beatles. But, you know... Um, one of the podcasts I was listening to the other day, 
he took his kid to the doctors and the kid was really nervous because he had to get an injection and he was you know mumbling and singing to himself and he was like try to see it my way and a little like six-year-old kid who would never have been into the beatles without this so i think it brings old music which would otherwise disappear back to the kids And, and you know put it like this rap music has just begun to subside in favour of rock music and I think Guitar Hero is in no small part of that particular wave we shall agree to disagree okay <laughs> no problem uh, the, the only other thing the other thing I still play which I'm a complete slut to is uh, Pro Evo okay. uh, in any incarnation I was after the last Pro Evo I was considering ditching it uh, for FIFA this year because everyone said oh FIFA, FIFA 9 10. Was yeah FIFA 10 and 9 they're, 10. they're better but, but. Well, see I played both the demos this is another reason why I love PS3 and the whole PS Live community and I think that whole way of being able to download demos and stuff is just you know from a farm yeah. in Nova Scotia is fantastic yeah. I played them both I can see how FIFA would reward more long term play getting ready you know when you learn the tricks and everything but there's something about Pro even in the 10 incarnation it feels more natural to me. Basically, FIFA 9 and FIFA 10, it's like trying a new sexual position. You know, I'm sure it'll be, way, but part of you thinks it's just a bit awkward to get into. I couldn't put it better myself, but it's the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I know I, I used to be a huge Pro Evo fan, so I know where you're coming from. Believe it, me, it, he it was never going to touch FIFA again. But yeah, it, it lost its way, yeah, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, Easter Rome. Well, I mean, I'm going to see if we can club together and get you sent FIFA 10. Seriously, just for coming on, because because I think you deserve it, mate. Um, the, the, the other the other the other game thing that uh, that absolutely uh, took over me a few weeks ago, and this was no more no longer than that, a few months ago now, was uh, and this ties in with this whole emotional connection thing. Shin Megami Tensei Devil Survivor on the <laughs> DS. Short game, Jesus. Yeah. Oh, just blew my mind in a way that an RPG hasn't done since Final Fantasy VII, you know. And I think it just, I was looking for someone to play on the DS because I realised that as a dad of three, that really is your machine. That's the mm. only machine you ever have time to play. Yeah. It's basically when you're sitting waiting for kids coming out from soccer. Sorry, football practice. Thank you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, or you're having a dump or something. That You know, that's, that's why the DS is your game, is your, your uh, handset of choice. Remind me never to play your DS. <laughs> so, so I started playing this game because it had great reviews online, and I'm like, "Hang on a sec, you've got like Armageddon, you've got uh, technology, you've got religion, and you've got this incredible band of people you emotionally connect with." I thought it was one of the most amazing cultural experiences of my life in the last ten years. I thought that was an absolutely phenomenal game. I, I loved it, apart from. When I got right up to the final battle, and with a lot of games, I'm just like, oh, just forget. Why? Why do you make it so stupidly hard? Why do you make it so you've got to really just remorselessly grind through and grind through like seven big bads in a row? I hate that. Well, if I can make one suggestion to you, get your PS3 and play Uncharted 2. If you were after a good story. Oh, Uncharted 2. Just get Uncharted and Uncharted 2 and see how far we've come. I like Uncharted 1 a lot. Excellent. Well, Uncharted 2. I'm thinking Game of the Year at the moment on that one. Last serious question. If Games Master was hypothetically to return to the TV, how do you think it could stay afloat today? Well, afloat is the operative choice. We would would do the pirate ship, definitely. Um, As I said, it was the one thing that we didn't do. I think we would do exactly the same as we did before. Um, Apart from maybe not have the consultation zone. 
Sefte Oysa Go away, young boy. I mean, can you can you imagine? I mean, I know this isn't necessarily the most credible thing, Noah, but could you could you imagine having Jedward Jedward this week if it went out? <laughs> it just you'd get four million. I mean, it would just if you could find the right game for them, it would be it would be great. Oh, Gamesmaster would be an absolute banker if it came back tomorrow, and um, we would just do exactly the same as we did before. Give me a box to tick uh, to for yes. Immediately, give uh, most of our listeners a box to take. I'd say most of our American listeners are, are now getting curious about this this show, and uh, you know, check out YouTube, folks, because uh, it's it's it has to be seen to be believed. I, okay, well, well let the, me only, the only problem is though they would. I am. Um, I I I wouldn't be. The only problem is if Channel Four or someone brought it back, they would bring it back, but they would insist mm-hmm. on some twenty-one-year-old X Factor contestant to yeah. present. No. Surely, that, I mean, no. I think ultimately, if they wanted it to succeed, you'd get a call. In all seriousness, yeah, in this in this hypothetical situation, you'd get a call. They'd drag you back to the but, to Presidious Albion. I could be I could be Games Master. Kind of oh my god! And and you wouldn't even have to leave the country. They could just get all your stuff recorded in Nova Scotia. You could maybe have someone like Simon Amstel presenting it, and then me would go, no, I'll tell you, who is the, oh, who's the other wee guy? There's the three of them that I get confused. There's Simon Amstel, there's Dave Berry, and there's the other guy who came up through MTV who's got the long curly hair who does all the channels. Oh, the question I wanted to ask is, as much as Games Master was a huge success, I mean, to be fair, there's, there's barely been another TV show out there. I mean, yeah, I mean, like you say, this was pulling, you know, three to four million viewers per week. So... So what's happened? Why why is there no room for a program like this? It's just seemed to have disappeared. I mean, you're in the media. You probably have more qualified to answer that than us. Yeah, I think that um, again, I'm 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 not meaning to be politically incorrect or offensive, and I'm not casting aspersions on any particular genres of people. But video games, no matter what people like to pretend, are still the core market is um, heterosexual males. And uh, television is not run by heterosexual. Television is run by women and not heterosexual. That's fine. It's as simple as that. I didn't realise that. Is that the case? Okay. Always has been. I thought it was old men, white men with mutton chops, you know, from Victorian age who somehow are still alive. No, no, no. It's run by people who would never play a video game in their life and always has been. Well, that pretty much fits the bill of, of any of those three demographics. But um, they just they, they don't get it. Uh, they never will. And it's you know. It, but surely it's there are so many TV shows which shouldn't appeal to them, which still get greenlit. Why can't video games get in? It's a massive billion-dollar industry. I know. I don't. I don't understand. I really do not understand. Mm. Me neither. But well, it could also be the fact that, with the exception of Games Master, every other attempt was shit. That is true. I mean, do you, really want, do you really want another Gamesville? Really? Does the world really want that? This is on, this is on a motorbike. Uh, have, do you have a motorbike? Have you been on a motorbike before? Um, I'm actually terrified of motorbikes, but I like it at the back. That's um, enough said. <laughs> uh, okay then, Zoe, um, if you'd like to go and uh, get your leg over this fine machine. A lovely bunch uh, she's got right up in front of her there, Rick. This is a wide corner. Oh, she's no, they, it very well. they've slipped inside her. A couple of men slipped inside Zoe there, and, uh, but she's managed to knock one of them off. 
She's going to have to get a grip of that throttle control and get her thighs wrapped round completely. You would do quite well at the start there, then, then what happened? What went wrong? Um, I was listening to you. You're not the first woman to be captivated by the rolling lilt of my accent. Oh, darling. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much, indeed for coming on. Who writes your lines? I make them all up. Isn't really? It? Amazing. Do you know what I mean? I just get, I just find it, I feel it a bit here, or really? sometimes lower down, and then before I know it, it's just come out. Okay, well, we're going to focus the next few minutes purely on you. Not that we haven't been doing that for the entirety of the show, but there's some our interesting five questions that we ask yeah. each and every one of our guests. Yeah. So basically, I'll just I'll shoot them at you. Um, don't think too long and hard about them, but uh, it's just five questions that we ask everyone. Choose two desert island games. You have power, but no internet connection. So this is not necessarily the best game. This is the game you could play forever. And, and that's we'll the have criterion to. I'm going to use. Yep. Right. I guess. Well, I'd be tempted by FIFA 10 because it would take <laughs> that long to go. Um, it's got to be something that you can't complete. That's the thing. It's got to be something you can play and play and play and play with no end. So that rules out anything like, you know, Fallout, Call of Duty, GTA, anything like that. It's got to hmm. be an open-ended game. So I, this is going to sound really boring. I would say a football game, either Pro Evo or FIFA, mm-hmm. and the latest Madden. So That's such a boring answer. You're, just, you're spending your entire time on this desert <laughs> island <laughs> play, just r- chasing a ball up and down a field. Different shape ball each time, and with different rules. Okay. Well, that, well then, uh, all to the question for you. What's your favourite game of all time? Uh, Penetrator. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of emotion, pure emotional connection, Final Fantasy VII. Nice. I mean, the three games I've played, I've spent the most time playing in my life. Um, Final Fantasy, Sensei, Soccer, Championship Manager, and it's the sort of incarnations, but in terms of, I mean, I cried. I cried playing Final Fantasy VII when we, Eris or whatever her name was, died. Me too. And I've never cried. I mean, that, I cried during a video game. <laughs> <laughs> and for that alone, that's got to be the greatest video game of all time. Yeah. I have uh, gotten kind of choked up in video games since then, but that was definitely the first one that really got me, got to me. So I think that's possibly why it's that specific one game is so special to everyone. It was the emotional involvement and the fact that it was... For, for a lot of people in the West, it was the first big RPG with a cinematic experience in there as well, because before then, we didn't... I mean, for some reason, on the snares, people just assumed that RPGs wouldn't work. So all of those like, Final Fantasy games, one through six, got released in America, not over here. What the yeah. fuck was that about? We never got Chrono Trigger. We got Secret of Mana, and I love that, but it was really thin on the ground. So I can see why everyone in England, at least, uh, you know, would would consider Final Fantasy VII to be one of the best RPGs I, of all time. I think Deus, Deus Ex, mm. that was another thing that took over my life, and that was a wonderfully immersive experience. But I think if I cried at any point during Deus Ex, that might have nudged Final Fantasy VII, but Final Fantasy VII gets it on tears. Right. I, would, I would have cried at the difficulty of Deus Ex, but... <laughs> Oh, the only game that's got to me more on an emotional level is Metal Gear Solid 3 Subsistence. Uh, did See, you I never it? got into Metal Gear Solid. You are missing out. I don't know. It was maybe maybe it's, there's certain games that come out which, because I'm left-handed, I think, I can't quite get to grips with it, or at least I pretend it's because... Can't waggle your joystick with the other hand. <laughs> like any, any first-person, any FPS game on, generally speaking, on the... Um, Xbox 360 or the PlayStation 3 that doesn't have an auto-targeting button. (laughs) But that's why Call of Duty works, because it does. Okay, Uh, so number two. 
Who is your most admired figure in the games industry or community? This will be good. There is only what Jane Hewland got to oh. be. I mean, the, the executive producer of Games Master just... You know, without her, there wouldn't have been any. She's still a, a great friend and mentor uh, to me to, to this day. Just, uh, What's she up to right now? Jane is, oh, do you know what? Jane is, I, I don't think I'm allowed, Jane is, t- the, the, she went on her company and made a lot of dramas. Mm-hmm. And she is working on an American version of one of those dramas with a big fuck off studio in Los Angeles. Brilliant. So she's doing all right for herself. Yeah. She's continuing. She's, oh, yeah, she's yeah, no, she, she sold up the company and everything and then, uh, I think spent about a month and thought, oh, no, I'm too young still. I've still got stuff I want to do. So started another one and uh, it's a focus on the And is her son still into games? Uh, Harry, oh gosh, yes. Yes, I imagine. Awesome. Although, I think Harry, um, Harry's kind of working in movies now as well in some directorial capacity. Cool. Say, oh, yeah, he'll still be in the games. Um, Creative people. In terms of people that... Ugh, I don't know. Do you know what? I, I'll mention one other person in the games industry because um, I think these people will actually never get mentioned. Um, Daniel Wuja, who was the PR manager at uh, Virgin during the kind of peak period of Games Master and now has a has a her own independent PR company called She Lunch. wasn't the one who was sent down to... Uh... No, 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 no. <laughs> no. She wasn't the one who was ordered to blow me, and that's not why she's... she's <laughs> you are a cracking PR agent, I've got to say, Daniel. <laughs> you know, it was, just because, it was just because Woody just got it, and there was a lot of times on Games Master, and this would always involve me banging off angry letters to CTW at the time. There were so many companies who just didn't get the opportunity Games Master gave them. I would say they were the worst. Mm-hmm. They would have things like the new Sonic game under wraps and wouldn't release ROM chips. And we would say, listen, guys, have you got any clue? Three million viewers and you're saving it for Sega magazine. They've got like a 80,000 readers or whatever. They just they were so obstructive. They made but, amazing, cool, trendy adverts, but just didn't get Cyber Razor Cuts. Yes. Whereas someone like Woody, who, let's be honest, the games coming out from Virgin at the time were not quite mm-hmm. as good as the games coming out from Sega, but they got on telly because she would come to us and say, okay, we've got this game coming out, we've got Cool Spot, um, here's, a, here's a possible level for you, we're going to give you it six months before, and she just she did the video games industry a huge service by doing that, she's brilliant, the queen of, queen of games PR. Good enough. Brilliant, yeah. Uh, number three, what is, this will also be good, what is your worst gaming experience? <laughs> Jeez. Um. <laughs> like, can I say that? Hmm. You, you can worst say gaming, it. Yeah, worst gaming experience. They probably aren't listening. Yeah, I would say playing a championship manager on your own, in a shed, <laughs> in the Lake District, in 2000, alone, off your face on cocaine. That really is grim. I mean, that's as sad as, I'm, that is just, that was the absolute depth of my entire life as a, as a human being. I wish so I'd known I'd have come down there with, you know, <laughs> chicken. You just just to cheer you up, football. for God's sake. I, I don't know, but we could have played Tekken or something, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but I, oh, I, I'm, re- I'm really sorry to hear that you were, you were at that low point. That's oh, jeez, it was. I only talk about it now because I'm writing about it a lot in the book. Yeah. And uh, it's just, oh, Jesus, that was that. Was, because 
listen, let's not beat about the bush. The drugs and video games, A, have got a crossover in terms of the creation of them because there is no way some of those Japanese stuff could have been made <laughs> without people having a smoke. Uh, and also, pe- I know that, you know, people use drugs creatively while they're playing video games. And, you know, if, if, if you have got a bunch of guys on Coker Speed having a Pro Evolution <laughs> tournament, that's pretty intense, you know. Likewise, Mario Kart, anything like that. There is, you know, th- there is... There is possibly a time and place for it, but... Uh, I can't even that, imagine Mario Kart on speed. That's, that, that would blow my head off. Yeah, oh, and I, and I imagine, I mean, this is, this is a long time after I've thankfully kicked that part of my life in a touch, but I would imagine there's a lot of people for whom the Wii and that whole way of, of, of uh, using peripherals on the Wii fits perfectly. And, I mean, Sonic Mario Olympics on Coke. I would imagine that that's just perfect for people who are into that. Just now, but thanks for that. Was a long time ago for me. Okay, not something I genuinely not something I can do. I, I've got to say that you've, of all the people who've ever answered that question, I think that is probably the worst of any situation. <laughs> Everyone else just names crap games. You've actually managed to to crystallise a situation so acutely that I'm shuddering just thinking about it. So, yeah, I can see that. I mean, yeah. champ- well, that was it. Championship manager. It was a good game, though. It's a good game, but. Boy, you can get obsessed with that game. So yeah, I, I can imagine just sitting there in the shed, just shivering and going, "Just, just one more goal. Why, why are you failing?" Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Question four: What is your favourite piece of music from a video game? And we will play it for you. It's like Desert Island Discs. In fact, just for you, Dom, choose three because we'll have, we'll play them throughout the show. Jeez. Or well, just one if it's tough. <laughs> no, I'm gonna I'm gonna discount. Um, any proper music, you know, like the way that yeah, 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 yeah. The fact FIFA ten of you know FIFA games and Prova songs have got these great soundtracks by bands and everything. That's not um, that doesn't count. Um, God, it's uh, a lot of people choose Halo. A lot of people like the Warcraft. Yeah, that we could play Eris's theme from Final Fantasy seven. That, ah, no. Yeah, no, when she died, there's that music as the little crystal ball is bouncing down the stairs. Do you want the original uh, keyboard version or the orchestral version? Jesus, gags. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go, <laughs> we'll end on the orchestral one, just just for you, because it's awesome. I saw a clip on uh, on YouTube only yesterday. I can't work out. Oh, I know why. There's a brilliant, brilliant website called io9. We come from the future, and it's, it's I'm uh, heavily into what they call genre television and, and, you know, sci-fi television and things like that. Mm-hmm. And there's a great website um, that collects that and comics and sci-fi books called io9. Mm-hmm. And they had a clip um, where it was two Tesla machines. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone had rigged them up to play the Super Mario Brothers theme tune. And if you get the chance to Google it, it's phenomenal. It's just these sparks shooting out of these machines connecting <laughs> the tiles, playing the Super Mario theme tune. Um, so, uh, Hang on, what's, what, what keyword should I go with for the Tesla Mario? Tesla Mario. Yeah, okay. I'll see if I can find that. Uh, It's kind of obscure. Uh, Third one, or will that do? Do you know what? Was there a... I've done I I, I can't... There's nothing I can... I mean... No. I I, I mean, I don't know. A crash... No, I didn't know. Couldn't even tell you. Apart from Mario and and Sonic. There we go. That's a classic. We'll have that one. <laughs> we'll keep it retro for the whole show, actually, so people will sort of ask them. Do you know what's interesting? It's not. It's not really something that's ever struck me about video games. 
the music. That's possibly because a lot of the time when I've been playing them, because I've got horrible attention deficit. Uh-huh. So, and because of this guilt that you feel playing video games when you when you either when you're a dad. I never feel or, guilt playing video games. It's my job, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, well, you're exactly you're lucky. But uh, I, I think when you're in a when you're in a career like I was, where by you were your job was to be to be yourself, whether that was on radio shows, on TV shows, or writing columns in the in the, the Star and football no. columns or whatever. There was always something that I should have been doing instead of playing video games to try and further my career. No. So I would always sit and play them with Radio Five on because I go, okay, I'm researching football. I've got <laughs> but I think that's it. I, I very rarely played video games, even now, even today. Just on their own, I will have something on in the radio, or there'll be albums that I was supposed to have listened to when I was at XFM. So that's probably why at no point video game music has really struck a chord. You know, I'm going to admit this uh, just to just to match you for, for shamefulness. Um, you, know, you do you remember when Super Mario 64 came out, Tony? Dom, yeah. one of the best games of all time. Fantastic soundtrack. Da, 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 da. I was in the habit at that point of putting on CDs while I was playing, and I am very, very ashamed to say that um, the first Spice Girls CD got played many, many times while I was playing those few levels. And so now whenever I see Mario swimming, I just think about Two Become One or some other nauseating fucking song from that piece of shit album. I'm I'm gone from here, dude. I feel dead inside. I'm sorry. (laughs) If it helps... You know, I I really thought thought that was going to go in a completely different direction. I thought it was going to be so. You remember when when Mario 64 came out? I used to sit playing it while a fully grown elephant blew ketamine up my ass. That happened as well, but only in the later levels. I had to get through the Spice Girls bit first. I suppose I kind of made up for it by playing Tomb Raider 2 while listening to Natalie Imbruglia. Oh, bless her. Much better. Okay. Um, blank so. face, careful cow that she is. <laughs> <laughs> but it's such a lovely blank face. Uh, yeah. Question five, final question, Dom. Where will gaming be five years? <laughs> Where will now. gaming be five years from now? Oh, in I, your know the, I know the correct answer. The uh, correct answer to this is always virtual reality, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it doesn't One matter day. when you ask someone. From we, 1980 onwards, fully immersive virtual reality, that's the answer. See, Did you guys see that gamer film? Oh, no. I haven't, because uh, it actually, I, I was kind of insulted by it. Because again, it's, it's aiming at like a 15-year-old boy demographic with like, you know, retarded amounts of violence in it. I mean, it is it any good? No, it, it's awful. It's a real disappointment because... The guys, uh, the guys who directed that, the guys who did the two Crank, crank movies, yeah. which is just one enormous, you know. But oh no, Gamer is one of the. Be- I was so looking forward to it. I liked the concept of it, mm. but oh, so because it's just The Sims gone mad, and it was just so disappointing. So anyway, um, uh, I, I was quite interested in the way, I, I the, the two, the biggest increase in gaming in the last five years has been. Uh, online play and the biggest growth part of the internet is porn so this, there has got to be a convergence of the two and that convergence <laughs> online is porn portrayed in gamer where there will be some horrific sick psychosexual form of game where you will actually genuinely control live people acting out in a space I honestly uh, do you know what maybe I'm Imagine the charges for that on a daily basis. Imagine it. I mean, you know, you pay ten quid a week, a month for Warcraft. Yeah. So, okay. I, I think also there's um 
That is uh, a dark dystopian future you're dreaming up there. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to live in. Actually, no, I do want to live in that future. I'm talking about. That well, awesome. yeah. the, the other thing that's um, it's so interesting because I, I um, there's a, a video game developer called HB Studios mm-hmm. um, who've done a lot of the ports of uh, FIFA onto uh, PlayStation 2 and PC and, and things, you know, the, the glamorous ports of it. And uh, they're based just down the road from me in Lunenburg. And I got to know a couple of the guys. I played football with them on, on Monday nights. And we were having this exact same conversation in the pub, and we were talking about Facebook gaming um, and arguing whether it was worth people pursuing that now or whether you've kind of missed that whole thing as a, as a developer. Um, I sadly think that uh, that whole Mafia Wars, Vegfill, Farmville thing mm. is going to become the most, in terms of numbers, the most popular form of gaming in the next couple of years. That makes me sick to my yeah, core, just yeah, thinking yeah. about that fucking awful kind of gaming. And you know, the, and you know, the worst thing is, is that I sit here and I say, you know, oh, I, I, you know, I, I don't have time, I would love to sit down and carry on with Fallout 3, but I worry about not having the time yeah. to make that emotional connection. I sit every day and spend it's only ten minutes because that's just how mindful is on Mafia Wars. Yes. <laughs> I completed every level of New York finally the other day, and I sit there and this 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 thing. I'm not even going to call it a game because it gives it too much kudos. This thing is punching me in the nuts <laughs> with the sheer waste of time and sheer just insult of of someone like me playing it and treating it as a G A M E, and yet I still go on every day just to effectively. Subtract. I mean, that's it's just so it's just looking. I've got 695 points left. This stupid bank job in Russia is 115. How many can I? Oh my! How demeaning! What an insult to all those great. I wonder so people like Archer McLean, who sits there, who's probably one of the finest politicians <laughs> outside of Stephen Hawkins, who spends his whole life working out how to get the perfect trajectory of a snooker ball <laughs> along with mercury. Just subtracting this dumb game because, oh, you get to whack people in it. How sad, how pathetic. But sadly, that is, that is going to be the future of gaming. If somebody can get that, effectively it's like a reboot of gaming. Because if people can get those people and just shove them in the direction of a, a kind of gentle kind of Grand Theft Auto, Call of Duty, kind of Japanese RPG direction, then, you know, you might have a whole kind of that parallel universe theory. You like have this parallel gaming world going on alongside the likes of, you know, people who've been into it for a long time. After the end credits music, you will find out the winner of the donation drive draw for this month. Thank you all very much. And I'm also going to do a list of everyone who has donated to us. Um, and the Left 4 Dead t-shirt competition is going to extend by one more week because we didn't really get the thread up until yeah, uh, very much. So the, the basic premise is come onto our uh, website, come to our forums, and there is a thread entitled What I Would Do in a Zombie Apocalypse, and you've got to talk about why your gaming skills have allowed you to survive it. And the most amusing entry will win a Left 4 Dead 2 t-shirt. t-shirt. UK versus USA iTunes reviews. we got four for the UK this week. Seaman Darby, Time Raven X, Satan's All Smiles, and Dave Wigan. And Tony, USA. Uh, and five, eight, six, three. Mosso Bond and Nobody Sleeps. 
So I lose again. Lose again. UK, UK, which puts the UK at 47. We are three away from getting 50 reviews. Come on, England. But um, now the USA is at 44. So there's still time. If, if the entirety or just... If just six few, people. <laughs> six people from the USA get their asses in gear this week, then the chances they're going to win the game and snatch it away from these UK imposters. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say that with any pride. because We like, are the motherland. Hold your tongue. Okay, right. Um, Dom, yes. it has been an absolute pleasure and a landmark moment in my podcasting career being able to do, uh, talk to you, mate. Seriously. Well, you're, you're very kind. Can I say one more thing, actually? And, it, and you know go what I was saying? Like, for, uh, if people are listening in, in America and that, they should go online and, and Google Games Master and take, take a look. Can I also say, if they should Google Video Guiding and Consulvania as well if they haven't seen that and if anybody hasn't because that honestly that genuinely was a, a work of genius that was just just way too clever for its own time mm-hmm. and it, it was every bit as good if not better than Games Master was it was a phenomenal gaming show by people who really ate lived and breathed and were funny at the same time it's, it's incredible you should check that out I will put the links in the show notes so everyone can check them out from the website directly but well, no it, it has been a pleasure um, you've been very open and honest more so than I think we could ever even brutally imagine. honest <laughs> it was great so yeah it's yeah. The, the only way to be gentlemen indeed yes. Completely agree. And actually, I really hope if we can get you on a later date at some point to talk about something else, uh, maybe. I don't know. We'll, we'll see if we can get you a topic that will whet your appetite. Fine. Send me a copy of FIFA 10 and I will. I, you know what? We are going to. I'm sending you PS3 FIFA 10 via Amazon. Do you have a Canada Amazon? Yes, CA. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, we'll do that. Okay. Thank you very much, Dominic Diamond. All right. Nice, guys. Cheers. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Tony Atkins. We will see you all next week. Happy trails.
Okay, just one final thing to uh, say thank you very much to everyone who's donated over the past month. We are never going to mention the donation drive until November 2010. (laughs) That's it from it. But we're just going to say thank you very much to everyone who has donated and announced the winner. So thank you to Bernard Sacco, Jeremy Tiong, Jeff Merlihan, James Library, Joseph Berman, Giles Thomas, Jeffrey Lindegarding, Joshua Garrity, Shirley Long, Stephen Jones, Anthony Edwards, Mark Raymond, Damon Foster, Brandon Ivey, Mike Woodworth, Paul Shotton, Gustav Dahl, Stephen Jackson, Jerome McIntosh, Dan Ilson, Peter Fitzsimmons, William Hulse, Adrian Foster, Sharon Shaw, and Stephen Jones. That's a big lineup, and we're not going to tell you the figure, but it, uh, we're humbled. We're it was more really, yeah. by, I think... Well, it's double what we expected. Yeah, it's, it's more than we expected. So thank you very much, and, guys. It's uh, been fantastic. You, you can be safe to, to know that that's actually being pumped all back into the show, the, the continuous you know, <laughs> server fees and, and website hosting fees and uh, uh, just, yeah, some, some good stuff is coming from that. Oh, and uh, one of those guys is Cassandra's boyfriend, so she was actually the person doing the donation, but I can't remember which one it was. But Cassandra, thank you very much for that part of it. And the winner is... <laughs> James Libre. Thank you very much, James. I have no idea who that is, but congratulations. (laughs) We did a random number generator. We took off Sharon and my wife and everyone who donated twice. Uh, For some reason, some of them, you guys donated twice. Thank you very much for that. But we took off the second one and made it totally fair. And you know what? The first time we did it, James turned up. And then I noticed that he donated twice. took him off. The second time we did it. James turned up. And also, if you'd like to contact us, come to the Digital Cowboys forward slash forums, and you can check out our forums, and we've got a fantastic community there. Everyone who has donated to us, but everyone who hasn't, and everyone who has listened to the show, tons of them are on the forums, and we're chatting away all day, every day. And anybody that has jumped on because of Dominic Diamond, and why wouldn't you? What a guest he was, Al. What a cracker Uh, of a guest, honestly. Um, lovely, lovely guy. Yeah, um, they, all you newcomers, can, yeah, you come to thedigitalcowboys.com. Yeah, and was it mailbag at digitalcowboys.com if you want to send us any feedback if yeah. you can't be bothered to do it on the forum. Indeed. So, yeah. Thank you very much, guys. We will see you later. I've been nice show. I've still been Tony Atkins. And no more music. Bye-bye. So, that's it. I would like to personally thank the many talented people that have worked on this show. They will all go on to bigger things, but somehow none of them will seem quite as self-indulgent as Games Master. Uh, I know some people might have thought it's been flippant. To some people, it might seem as if it's been in bad taste. But it was made with the total conviction that, to you, the viewers, it meant something. So I guess, really, now, with the last link of the last series, I should come up with the funniest gag in the history of Games Master, but uh, I can't.